Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Greg. I'm Cameron. I'm Dan. And I'm your guest, Andy. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time we concluded Chapter 18. As the north of Beleriand fell to Morgoth, twelve men held out in Dorthonian, including Barahir and his son Beren. Sauron took Tolsirion and transformed it into an outpost for Morgoth. Morgoth captured many men and elves and released them back into Beleriand, hoping to sow more treachery. Men from the east came into Beleriand at Morgoth's call, and some ultimately betrayed Morgoth, siding with the Edain and the Eldar. Turgon embraced a group of Haladin who were brought to Gondolin by eagles, but Maeglin rejected them. Turgon sent emissaries into the west, seeking help from the Valar, but none reached Valinor. Morgoth attacked Heathlum, but Círdan helped to fight off the attacking armies. Today we begin chapter 19, which is found on page 162 of the second edition. Chapter 19 of Baron and Luthien. Among the tales of sorrow and of ruin that come down to us from the darkness of those days, there are yet some in which amid weeping there is joy, and under the shadow of death, light that endures. And of these histories most fair, still in the ears of the elves, is the tale of Beren and Luthien. Of their lives was made the lay of Leithian, release from bondage, which is the longest save one of the songs concerning the world of old. But here the tale is told in fewer words and without song. It has been told that Badahir would not forsake Dorthonian, and there Morgoth pursued him to death, to the death, until at last there remained to him only twelve companions. Now the forest of Dorthonian rose southward into the mountainous moors, and in the east of those highlands there lay a lake, Tarn Iluin, with wild heaths about it, and all that land was pathless and untamed, for even in the days of the long peace, none had dwelt there. But the waters of Tarn Iluin were held in reverence, for they were clear and blue by day, and by night were a mirror for the stars. And it was said that Melian herself had hallowed the, that water in days of old. Thither Badahir and his outlaws withdrew, and there made their lair. And Morgoth could not discover it. But the rumor of the deeds of Badahir and his companions went far and wide, and Morgoth commanded Sauron to find them and destroy them. Now among the companions of Badahir was Gorlim, son of Angrim. His wife was named Ailinel, and their love was great ere evil befell. But Gorlim, returning from the war upon the marches, found his house plundered and forsaken, and his wife gone. Whether slain or taken, he knew not. Then he fled to Badahir, and of his companions he was the most fierce and desperate, but doubt gnawed his heart, thinking that perhaps Eilinel was not dead. At times he would depart alone and secretly and visit his house that still stood amid the fields and woods he had once possessed. And this became known to the servants of Morgoth. 
On a time of autumn, he came in the dusk of evening, and drawing near, he saw, as he thought, a light at the window. And coming warily, he looked within. There he saw Eileenel, and her face was worn with grief and hunger. And it seemed to him that he had heard her voice lamenting that he had forsaken her. But even as he cried aloud, the light was blown out in the wind. Wolves howled, and his shoulder and on his shoulders he felt suddenly the heavy hands of Sauron's hunters. Thus, Gorlim was ensnared, and taking him to their camp, they tormented him, seeking to learn the hidings of Badahir and all his ways. But nothing would Gorlim tell. Then they promised him that he should be released and restored to Eilinel if he would yield. And being at last worn with pain and yearning for his wife, he faltered. Then straightway they brought him into the dreadful presence of Sauron. And Sauron said, I hear now that thou wouldst barter with me. What is thy price? And Gorlim answered that he should find Eilinel again and with her be set free. For he thought that Eilinel also had been made captive. Then Sauron smiled, saying, That is a small price for so great a treachery. So shall it surely be. Say on. Now Gorlim would have drawn back, but daunted by the eyes of Sauron, he told at last all that he would know. Then Sauron laughed, and he mocked Gorlim, and revealed to him that he had only seen a phantom devised by wizardry to entrap him for Eilinel was dead. Nonetheless, I will grant thy prayer, said Sauron, and thou shalt go to Eilinel and be set free of my service. Then he put him cruelly to death. In this way, the hiding of Badahir was revealed and Morgoth drew his nets about it and the orcs coming in the still hours before dawn surprised the men of Dorthonian and slew them all save one. For Baron, son of Badahir, had been sent by his father on a perilous errand to spy upon the ways of the enemy. And he was far afield when the lair was taken. But as he slept, benighted in the forest, he dreamed that carrion birds sat thick as leaves upon the bare trees besides a mare, and blood dripped from their beaks. Then Baron was aware in his dream of a form that came to him across the water, and it was a wraith of Gorlim. And it spoke to him, declaring his treachery and death, and bade him make haste to warn his father. Then Beren awoke and sped through the night and came back to the lair of the outlaws on the second morning. But as he drew near, the carrion birds rose from the ground and sat in the alder trees, besides Tarn Eiluin, and croaked in mockery. There, Baron buried his father's bones and raised a cairn of boulders above him and swore upon it an oath of vengeance. First, therefore, he pursued the orcs that had slain his father and his kinsmen, and he found their camp by night at Reville's well above the fen of Sedek. And because of his woodcraft, he came near to their fire unseen. There the captain made boast of his deeds, and he held up the hand of Badahir that he had cut off as a token for Sauron, 
that their mission was fulfilled. And the ring of Felagund was on that hand. Then Beren sprang up from behind a rock and slew the captain. And taking the hand and the ring, he escaped, being defended by fate. For the orcs were dismayed and their arrows wild. There, thereafter, for four years more, Beren wandered still upon Dorthonian, a solitary outlaw, but he became the friend of birds and beasts, and they aided him and did not betray him. And from that time forth, he ate no flesh nor slew any living thing that was not in the service of Morgoth. He did not fear death, but only captivity, and being bold and desperate, he escaped both death and bonds, and the deeds of lonely daring that he achieved were noised abroad throughout Beleriand, and the tale of them came even into Doriath. At length, Morgoth set a price upon his head, no less than the price upon the head of Fingon, high king of the Noldor. But the orcs fled rather at the rumor of his approach than sought him out. Therefore, an army was sent against him under the command of Sauron. And Sauron brought werewolves, fell beasts, inhabited by dreadful spirits that he had imprisoned in their bodies. All that land was now become filled with evil, and all clean things were departing from it. And Baron was pressed so hard that at last he was forced to flee from Dorthonian. In time of winter and snow, he forsook the land and grave of his father, and climbing into the high regions of Gorgoroth, the mountains of terror, he descried afar the land of Doriath. There it was put into his heart that he would go down into the hidden kingdom, where no mortal foot had yet trodden. Terrible was his southward journey. Sheer were the precipices of arid Gorgoroth, and beneath their feet were shadows that were laid before the rising of the moon. Beyond lay the wilderness of Dungortheb, where the sorcery of Sauron and the power of Melian came together and horror and madness walked. There, spiders of the fell race of Ungoliant abode, spinning their unseen webs in which all living things were snared. And monsters wandered there that were born in the long dark before the sun, hunting silently with many eyes. No food for elves or men was there in that haunted land, but death only. That journey is not accounted least among the great deeds of Baron, but he spoke of it to no one after, lest the horror return into his mind. And none know how he found a way, and so came by paths that no man nor elf else ever dared to tread to the borders of Doriath. And he passed through the mazes that Melian wove about the kingdom of Thingol, even as she had foretold, for a great doom lay upon him. It is told in the Lay of Leithian that Baron came stumbling into Doriath, gray and bowed, as with many years of woe, so great had been the torment of the road. But wandering in the summer in the woods of Neldoreth, he came upon Luthien, daughter of Thingol and Melian, at a time of evening under moonrise, as she danced upon the unfading grass in the glades beside Esgalduin. Then all memory of his pain departed from him, 
and he fell into an enchantment. For Luthien was the most beautiful of all the children of Iluvatar. Blue was her raiment as the unclouded heaven, but her eyes were gray as the starlit evening. Her mantle was sewn with golden flowers, but her hair was dark as the shadows of twilight. As the light upon the leaves of trees, as the voice of clear waters, as the stars above the mists of the world, such was her glory and her loveliness, and in her face was a shining light. But she vanished from his sight, and he became dumb as one that is bound under a spell. And he strayed long in the woods, wild and wary as a beast, seeking for her. In his heart he called her Tenuviel, that signifies Nightingale, daughter of twilight, in the gray elven tongue. For he knew no other name for her, and he saw her afar as leaves in the wind of autumn, and in winter as a star upon a hill, but a chain was upon his limbs. There came a time near dawn on the eve of spring, and Luthien danced upon a green hill, and suddenly she began to sing. Keen, heart-piercing was her song, as the song of the lark that rises from the gates of night and pours its voice among the dying stars, seeing the sun behind the walls of the world. And the song of Luthien released from the bonds of winter, and the frozen waters spoke, and flowers sprang from the cold earth where her feet had passed. Then the spell of silence fell from Baron, and he called to her, crying, Tenuvio, and the woods echoed the name. Then she halted in wonder and fled no more, and Baron came to her. But as she looked on him, doom fell upon her, and she loved him. Yet she slipped from his arms and vanished from his sight, even as the day was breaking. Then Baron lay upon the ground in a swoon, as one slain at once by bliss and grief, and he fell into sleep, asleep, as it were into an, an abyss of shadow, and waking he was cold as stone, and his heart barren and forsaken. And wandering in mind, he groped as one that is stricken with sudden blindness and seeks the, with hands to grasp the vanished light. Thus, he began the payment of anguish for the fate that was laid on him. And in his fate, Luthien was caught. And being immortal, she shared in his mortality. And being free, received his chain. And her anguish was greater than any other of the Aldalie has known. Beyond his hope, she returned to him, where he sat in darkness, and long ago, in the hidden kingdom, she laid her hand in his. Thereafter, often she came to him, and they went in secret through the woods together from spring to summer, and no others of the children of Iluvatar have had joy so great, though the time was brief. But Diodron, the minstrel, also loved Luthien, and he espied her meetings with Baron and betrayed them to Thingle. Then the king was filled with anger, for Luthien he loved above all things, setting her above all the princes of the elves, whereas mortal men he did not even take into his service. Therefore he spoke in grief and amazement to Luthien, 
but she would reveal nothing until he swore an oath to her that she would neither slay Baron nor imprison him. But he sent his servants to lay hands on him and lead him to Menegroth as a malefactor. And Luthien, forestalling them, led Baron herself before the throne of Thingol, as if he were an honored guest. Then Thingol looked upon Baron in scorn and anger, but Melian was silent. Who are you, said the king, that come hither as a thief and unbidden dare to approach my throne? But Baron, being filled with dread, for the splendor of Menegroth and the majesty of Thingol were very great, answered nothing. Therefore Luthien spoke and said, He is Baron, son of Barahir, lord of men, mighty foe of Morgoth, the tale of whose deeds is become a song even among the elves. Let Baron speak, said Thingol. What would you hear, unhappy mortal? And for what cause have you left your own land to enter this, which is forbidden to such as you? Can you show reason why my power should not be laid on you in heavy punishment for your insolence and folly? Then Baron, looking up, beheld the eyes of Luthien, and his glance went also to the face of Melian, and it seemed to him that words were put into his mouth. Fear left him, and the pride of the eldest house of men returned to him, and he said, My fate, O king, led me hither, through perils such as few even of the elves would dare. And here I have found what I sought, not indeed, but finding I would possess forever. For it is above all gold and silver, and beyond all jewels, neither rock nor steel, nor the fires of Morgoth, nor all the powers of the elf kingdoms shall keep me from the treasure that I desire. For Luthien, your daughter, is the fairest of all the children of the world. Then silence fell upon the hall. For those that stood there were astounded and afraid, and they thought that Baron would be slain. But Thingol spoke slowly, saying, Death you have earned with these words and death you should find suddenly, had I not sworn an oath in haste, of which I repent, base-born mortal, who in the realm of Morgoth has learnt to creep in secret as his spies and thralls. Then Baron answered, Death you can give me, earned or unearned, but the names I will not take from you of base-born, nor spy, nor thrall by the ring of Felagund, that he gave to Badahir my father on the battlefield of the north, my house has not earned such names from any elf, be he king or no. His words were proud, and all eyes looked upon the ring, for he held it now aloft, and the green jewels gleamed there that the Noldor had devised in Valinor. For this ring was like two twin serpents, whose eyes were emeralds, and their heads met beneath a crown of golden flowers that the one upheld and the other devoured. That was the badge of Finarfin and his house. Then Melian leaned to Thingol's side and in whispered counsel bade him forego his wrath. For not by you, she said, shall Baron be slain, and far and free does his fate lead him in the end. Yet it is wound 
yet it is wound with yours. Take heed. But Thingol looked in silence upon Luthien and thought in his heart, unhappy men, children of little lords and brief kings, shall such as these lay hands on you and yet live? Then breaking the silence, he said, I see the ring, son of Badahir, and I perceive that you are proud and deem yourself mighty. But a father's deeds, even had his service been rendered to me, avail not to win the daughter of Thingol and Melian. See now, I too desire a treasure that is withheld. For rock and steel and the fires of Morgoth keep the jewel that I would possess against all the powers of the elf kingdoms. Yet I hear you say that bonds such as these do not daunt you. Go your way, therefore. Bring to me in your hand a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown. And then, if she will, Luthien may set her hand in yours. Then you shall have my jewel. And though the fate of Arda lie within the Silmarils, yet you shall hold me generous. Thus he wrought the doom of Doriath and was ensnared within the curse of Mandos. And those that heard these words perceived that Thingol would save his oath and yet send Baron to his death. For they knew that not all the power of the Noldor before the siege was broken had availed even to see from afar the shining Silmarils of Feanor. For they were set in the iron crown and treasured in Angband above all wealth and Balrogs were about them and countless swords and strong bars and unassailable walls and the dark majesty of Morgoth. In summary, the 12 outlaws in Dorthonian fight for survival. Sauron deceives Gorlim and convinces him to betray his companions. Baron alone survives. After avenging his father and reclaiming his father's ring, he wanders into the wilderness for four years, eventually making his way through the girdle of Melian into Doriath. He encounters Melian's daughter, Luthien. The two grow in friendship, joy, and love. A jealous Sindar elf tells Thingol about Baron, enraging him. Luthien brings Baron to Thingol as a guest, but the king threatens to punish Baron for entering Doriath. Baron declares his desire for Luthien, and Thingol makes a deal with him. If Baron retrieves a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown, he may have Luthien's hand. So good. <laughs> so good. Death you have earned with these words, and death you should find subtly had I not sworn an oath in haste. I'm pretty sure those were the words of my father-in-law when I uh, asked him for <laughs> yeah, my wife. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take those words and use them. <laughs> I, I definitely relate to that. Like <laughs> how dare you say you desire my daughter? <laughs> I know what he's going through. Well, on that note, I know it's it was it's kind of skipping ahead, but what I love about what his father her father says is that bring me the Silmaril from Morgoth's crown, and though the fate of Arda lie within the Silmarils, you shall hold me generous for giving you my daughter's hand. You know, even if you give me a Silmaril, I'll be generous uh, with that trade. That's such an honorable thing to say. Hmm. <laughs> 
yeah, this is uh, so much happened in this like fairly brief reading. Yeah. Um, we hear the end of the the Dorthonian Twelve. Yeah, Gorlim. which is just Gorlim. I, I noticed in the last reading they they give him a title. Uh, they call him Gorlim the Unhappy. <laughs> and now we understand why he's yeah. so unhappy. Yeah, interesting. Why? Why is he unhappy? I, I missed that. He was the oh, one where the his one wife was captured, and yeah. oh, okay, yeah, he was tricked. Yeah, was... he was tricked by Sauron into was so horrible. That was like it's really terrible. It's so dark. I, it's it made, funny. This... It made Morgoth look not as bad. Like this, <laughs> what Sauron did in this case. It was very yeah. like I, I feel like modern day storytelling has a lot of that kind of trope in it, like horror stories where you're seeing something. Did you ever see that horrible like wolf movie, Gray? No. Mm. Oh, with Liam Neeson? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so like depressing. It's a moment where he has this moment with his daughter. His daughter's above him, and then it turns out being a wolf that's eating him. But it's like, <laughs> oh my God. It's like really savage and emotional. Oh it, but that's what this was like. But the, Dorlim, this, he's played by, or Gorlim, he's played by Liam Neeson for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's another trope. Sure. There's another trope that they did um, that, or, that they use in, in films all the time, um, where he eventually says, Nevertheless, I'll grant you thy prayer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, you will join just imagine her. like slitting his dead. throat. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. They do that all the time in movies. Yeah, they do, they do that, that. That, like, I'm pretty sure, what's his name? Thanos oh, does it to well, someone, sorry, doesn't he? So. <laughs> you just yeah. do spoilers? No, I said Dune, the movie Dune. Uh, oh, the yeah. Um, Dr. Yui. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's like oh. the exact same thing of. of oh, yeah. Yeah. Betrayal and and expecting that his wife is going to be okay mm. and actually of course yeah. she's not. Um, I want to go back even a little bit further. I feel like this is a key point for me and why I like the Silmarillion so much. This very first paragraph of the chapter it says, "Among the tales of sorrow and ruin that come down, there's there are yet some in which amid weeping there's joy, and under the shadow of death light that endures." I think that's what I love about. This story and other stories in the Silmarillion that there's are all in the context of this great conflict, and there's terrible things happening left and right, but there's still these moments of great heroism and and beauty and goodness, and um, I think that's why like it's bearable to read all the darkness, you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm gonna anger some people here with this opinion, but I've now read. Um, the book Mistborn twice by Brandon Sanderson has been recommended to me a lot. And I just, the, I didn't like it the first time and I allowed someone to convince me to read it again. And I liked it even less the second time. And it's, it's, the main reason why is because it's just, it's just the darkness. Yeah. There isn't, there isn't any like redeeming hope or light in it. It's just like the beginning of it is like a slave being taken by the plantation owner to be raped and then it just like goes downhill from there and it, it, there's never like really even the hero is kind of a like a he's he's a thief which is kind of popular having like the dark heroes now you know but there's like true heroism in yep. the story of baron and um well it's, it's like the it's i mean that that line the shadow of death right it's like it reminds me of psalm 23 right like though i walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You mm-hmm. know, for you, for you, walk with me, right? And it reminds me of like the, the um, you know, the this, va- this veil of tears, right? Where it's where it's just like, or um, in uh, G.K. Chesterton's um, Ballad of the White Horse, mm-hmm. where he says like, I'm not gonna say that that everything's good, like 
actually the sea is rising higher and higher but like yeah i still call you to you know march with me and mm. and in, into this battle yeah I, I love that kind of like you said like the, the there's still joy there there's still light that pierces through um that's my, like one of my favorite moments in the return of the king is when like when like the light pierces through um don't they have like a glimpse in in, in um I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think if it's the final gladrail or just in mordor don't they have like a glimpse of light at one point well, there's, there's light obviously coming over the hill when um, uh, he says, "Look to the west." Uh, yeah. I'm thinking like have, Frodo and Sam, like in more. Yeah, they're like, there's like a, there's like a he has the file uh, against Shelob. Yeah, no, but I think I think there's another I think, one. Yeah, I think he's just laying. I don't think there's actually light, but he's remembering the Shire. Like he's just like right. There's like the just remembering, trying to remember like the that too. I think there's a, another yeah, time. Well, it might not actually be in the movie. It might be in the book. Where there's where he they literally like have just like this glimpse of light. Oh yes, you're right. Yeah, in yeah. the in the uh, when they're at the base of the yes. mountain, right? Yes, yes, yes. And it, yep. it's like a hopeless moment, but they get yes. this little glimpse of light through the, yes. the clouds. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, the other one that's like that from Return of the King is when Gandalf rides out. Um, yeah. When the when the Nazgul are like mm-hmm. coming to Minas Tirith and he like with his lightsaber out. shining, yeah, with his, I can with hear his the music. Flashlight. I can hear it right now. Like, oh my gosh, so good. Anyway, Magneto <laughs> riding with his lightsaber. <laughs> Magneto, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you guys notice? Um, so when Sauron's talking to Gorlim, um, Gorlim is daunted by the eyes of Sauron mm. and it remind it makes me think of who Sauron is and eventually he becomes mm. you know the, eye. the lidless eye that's haunting people's dreams um it's in the uh, Lord of the Rings the lidless eye mm-hmm. but yeah it's just interesting that even here you just look at his face and you just can't help but be daunted by his stare mm. I didn't notice that yeah, he's, Thanks he's for pretty evil. He's <laughs> yeah. really evil. Um, what's the deal with his ring? I haven't been following along with oh. every uh, bit because Aragorn eventually gets that ring, right? He had, I think he the has ring of the- Felagund. Yeah, the ring of, and at that point they call it the ring of Barahir. Barahir. Oh yeah, um, it's it's the two serpents. Yeah, like, the two serpents. Yeah. yeah, I I didn't honestly. I don't think. I recall it being mentioned before this reading, but it's like really emphasized in this. Yeah, one. like how did he get? Um, it? I'm and to... I looked it up, and it is yeah. It eventually, makes its way to Elrond and then to Aragorn. Yeah, yeah. I the guess it's, I mean in in Ardor, it's listed as the Ring of Barahir. It was in yeah. reward for saving uh, Finrod's life in the Degar Bragalock. Got it. Nice. nice. Maybe we did read about that. I think that we was did. like <laughs> just just recently. Maybe yeah, last was recent, reading. Yeah. Wow. Reading up. Yeah. Two serpents beneath a crown of flowers upheld by one of the serpents and devoured by the other. Mm-hmm. You can buy it's it for like crazy 200 that, Like When he's building this world, he's building jewelry as well. Like, <laughs> jewelry. Like, detailed jewelry. Like, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys think that Sauron he- just makes you feel like he's more evil than Morgoth? <laughs> just what he does? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, okay so we I was have- thinking... Go ahead, go ahead. We have Gorlim and just how terrible that was. But then later, the next page, it says, Sauron brought werewolves 
Fell beasts inhabited by dreadful yeah, spirits that he had animals. imprisoned in their bodies. You think Morgoth to be like, okay, Sauron, just okay. Chill. You don't need to. Yeah, yeah. he's like, <laughs> he wants a promotion. He wants a promotion. It's like, look, dude, you're already at the top. Like, the only way to get further is by killing me. And this ain't Star Wars, so it's not going to work like that. Although, like. I feel the same way about Thrawn talking about Star Wars. In yeah. in in Star Wars, there's this um, really intelligent, like evil villain called Thrawn, and he seems more evil than the big villains in there. And he's only a lieutenant, so that's you know an what it is. Point. Okay, Dostoevsky in the Brothers Karamazov has this idea of e- man's evil is not just like an animal start is suffering and that's oh, yeah. really sad yes. or that a tornado comes and wrecks the house and that's really sad, but it's a kind of artful evil mm. that it takes yeah. intelligence and only a I'll, man can yeah. be that evil. I was going to say the same thing of like Morgoth may have been more evil. Like maybe the master was greater than the servant, but like th- in this book you, you see Sauron actually like getting under the skin and into the heart of of these men in a way that is so twisted and evil. It's like mm-hmm. it, to me, it speaks of like the drama of free will and men and 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 life. Like that that like there's meaning to this evil because men have free will and and, and there's like there's there's tragedy and, and horror in in this twisted way that he's working. Yeah, you know what I was thinking. Well, I've heard a similar comment. It wasn't from Dostoevsky. That was from Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, very um, similar. Yeah, yeah. In like a bit, he was saying like, just like one of the darkest things that people do is just drop their trash in the floor after a movie ends at the movie theater. Yeah, that's like, pretty dark. you know, someone yeah. has to clean that up and he just dropped or, it there. Or you, you know, don't return your car in the parking lot at Walmart. Yeah. You just leave and, it by your car and you just check no one's around. Like, I don't do that. Like I was parked next to it. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. I do too. Yeah. No, and it's a joke, but it's like the seeds of like really dark yeah. actions are in that. Like that's I have like a, a very benign we, expression. We referenced this quote a couple episodes ago and it's fitting for what we're just talking about. It's from Clive, our good friend Clive. Oh, Staples. Oh, yeah. Oh, Mr. Oh. Clive Staples. Mr. Lewis. Staples. Love it. Um, he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Uh, yes. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, which if mm. you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Yeah. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one of the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Um, and And then he ends by saying, it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. He's so good. I mean, that's, that's so love good. Lewis. Tolkien, Tolkien is <laughs> amazing, and Lewis is amazing. This isn't a Tolkien v. Lewis thing. 
Well, Tolkien like it. makes it real with you know the I mean, right an elf and a work like it's a great yeah. right. You know. And I do think Cameron, to your point, I think we're seeing a specific time where Sauron is really acting in such an evil manner, and but we're hearing it in more detail than the things that Morgoth does. Yeah, we, we don't just hear, hear how hear Morgoth sweeping, twists people in yeah. Angband. Yeah. We hear that he has done that, and so we. It, it, I mean, he obviously has done really evil. well. Okay, we talked about the darkness for some time. How about like the most beautiful love story ever written? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is beautiful. It's yeah. I, I was thinking. Are you, you talking it. about Titanic again? Exactly. Okay, I was th- I was looking ahead a little bit. There's definitely a parallel to <laughs> the heart of the sea is like the the jewel, right? Mm, yeah, getting mm-hmm. thrown into the ocean. Never let That's go. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny. Oh, there's a single. ring. Don't they? Doesn't she have a ring? Probably. Is it a jewel? No, it's there's a, it's a jewel like a necklace, around a her neck when she's a 120 yeah, years old. Yeah. I forget. There's some kind of jewel. Well, we'll there there's right. so many connections. <laughs> and it was John made by like talking. French girls. <laughs> Plot twist. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love the love story. It, so, so the yeah. funny thing is, if you remember way back when, Thingol had a very similar story yes, in meeting Melia. That. <laughs> yeah. He like runs into Melian in the woods, and I think in their Doesn't story, she, like make flowers grow too. Is it Melian or is that someone else? I think Vanna? that's um, Vanna. Yeah, Vanna. But but, I mean, he's I like know. literally stuck there staring at her for centuries as like the world, like the stars. So it runs in the family, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it makes sense. So it's kind of funny that there's so little pity for this story. Like he is a parallel to Baron because he's like a lower being than Melian. She's a Maya and he's just an elf. Jeez. And then Baron's like the, the Right. Man. Yeah, and, good point. But it's funny, he just has no he's forgotten. He's old. He's just forgotten what it was like to be young. Yeah. Like I old mean, man. It's like the parable, right? Where the, the person who's forgiven turns around and yeah. and uh demands you know, you know um like we, Andy, yeah, we have, we have yeah. a limit on how much catholic stuff we can say oh sorry that's, so that's, that's just the bible yeah, just whenever Western you say literature. something catholic yeah, you have we're, to say we're something. not saying catholic we're saying christian yeah, it, now so. yeah, yeah. 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 yeah you say yeah, something exactly. protestant now and then materialistic <laughs> okay. and then yeah yeah and then <laughs> muslim or something i don't know oh it's funny well, well, I, well How I could a good God allow Thingol to... <laughs> <laughs> she is an well, image of Our Lady. You want me to read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Blue as a raiment as the unclouded heaven? Yeah, let's yes. move on. <laughs> we'll move on. Well, I was thinking with that. I mean, to, to, no, it's true. I mean, what I was thinking was, I think I've heard a lot of people recently just keep on emphasizing how Tolkien's wife was like, an inspiration for the Baron and Luthien love story. Like the, like mm. their love story was. And I think that's true. But as we were reading this, I was like, in some ways it's that like plays it. Um, that kind of short sells some things, I think, because yeah, I'm sure their love story was beautiful, like Tolkien and, and his wife. But like, I think that, that, that love story and maybe speaking for myself too, like, it can point to a higher reality. Like when you, when you experience that, there's like a way in which like the story of Baron and Luthien is, it's almost like he remembers the story of Baron and Luthien, which is almost more true and more, you know, amazing than his own love story, but his own love story helps him to, to remember this. If, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. That's, that's why I think of it. I just, I just think it's like, 
I doubt that his love story was as exciting as this, mm. right? Like, I mean, she brings springtime. Like, yeah, like she makes like the <laughs> like the ice melt and stuff. Like, yeah, she, does that make sense though? Like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't saying, yeah. like every man's like bride like makes ice melt and brings springtime. Mm. Like, that's true. Not literally, and then every woman, <laughs> literally though, every woman who I I've ever no, looked at. I mean, Doom falls upon them. Doom <laughs> falls upon Doom. them. Doom. Okay, when, wait, wrapped up. Stop there when you fall second. in love with me, Doom <laughs> will fall upon Doom. you. I was thinking, like, uh, Baron, he's been, he's just been in battle for years and then wandering the wilderness for years. He must have forgotten after seeing her how badly he reeked and that he hasn't shaven in like six yeah. years. He looks like Tom Hanks in Castaway. And I'm sure terrible. he's thinking all of this. <laughs> like, well, because the, the line, his butchie vanished from his sight. <laughs> he hasn't seen himself in a mirror in quite some time. So he's remembering himself as like this strapping, handsome lad. And she's like, whoa, you need to clean up before we can uh, talk anymore. Does he? Is that true? Because I'm trying. To, it was almost like she like fell in love with him immediately. No, she did. Yeah, okay, wait, wait. Because <laughs> kind of crazy that she no, just like. No, she didn't fall in love with him immediately. She got scared at first, but then no, she. Yeah, it wasn't love at first sight for her. It was second sight. Love at second sight. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the bottom mm. of one sixty-five. Or she like ran away from. It him. was after he, he was in that spell, and oh. then he seeks her again. Yes. When he was being sent. And then Doom yeah. falls upon her, which we've all been there. Doom. Yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. As yes, yeah, slain by <laughs> bliss and grief. That's yeah. so intense. Jeez. I do oh, think something this... here's something I want to point out is that it notes that in his fate, Luthien was caught, and being immortal, she shared in his mortality. So yeah. that's actually yeah. gonna happen later. Right. It's it's right. talking about something that's going to happen. It's kind of a prophecy. Oh, okay. Right. I was wondering because they seem to gloss over it pretty quick. And I, I know that that's a connection to a story that we hear again in The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Which one? Um, Arwen and um, what, what's his face? Vigo. Yeah, Vigo. that's it. Vigo. Yeah. Tyler. Because uh, she, that's her whole like dilemma. Like, mm-hmm. do I do it? Don't I do it? Her, da- her dad's like, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Never let go. Does he, does he call her to? This is what's <laughs> bugging me. Does he call her to Nuvio in the book or in the movie? Gosh, I that sounds so familiar to me. I daughter yeah. of Tenuvial. Daughter says. of Tenuvial. Yeah, that's what he calls. Her. Okay, yeah, that's right. He calls okay. her that. You're saying? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, something yeah, like uh, a lady of Tenuvial or daughter of Tenuvial, mm, something like that. Mm, love that. Because because the, the other elves, as they're talking about it, or at least maybe it's um, Papa Elf and daughter <laughs> Elf, as he's warning her. I think he talks about this story. I think mm, Is that mm-hmm. right. Am I remembering that correctly? I think so. Something like that. I've recently been watching Harrison in the yeah, in the Lord of the Rings. I've recently watched some some videos about Lord of the Rings, and it's got me more excited, but also more confused because it's been m- mentioning the differences between the movie and the books. I'm like, I gotta go read the books because I definitely have, I love the movies, love the books, but the movies have started to influence my like view of the story such that I forget key things from the books. Mm-hmm. And I really gotta go back and read those. So. Did you, have you listened to the audiobooks by and- Andy Serkis Yeah. No, oh, I've heard of, like an excerpt and phenomenal. so good, so good. They oh, are I got, phenomenal. I got 
They are excellent, and I highly recommend it. But it will confuse your, like, what was a movie and what wasn't again. Yeah, he does, yeah. He does accents for every character, and he Gosh. emulates the characters from the movie. So he does Gandalf. He does a character Gollum. He does. <laughs> he does all of the hobbits. He does. He does all of the dwarves. Oh, I, I gotta listen to this whole thing. I've listened it, to him incredible. do like a small excerpt, um, and he was amazing. I, I love his voice. He's he's so good. Yeah, he's um, phenomenal. I, I wanted to at least highlight this this very last this is the key part of the story is that Dingle um makes this deal with Baron get me a Silmaril and I'll give you Luthien and yeah it's what's interesting to me about that is Thingol doesn't really care about the Silmarils like he's not Noldor he doesn't he's not a son of Fanor so he doesn't really he's only heard of them even he hasn't seen them ever <laughs> But there's, he's like, so I think for him, the key thing that he's trying to present is an impossible task. Yeah. Like he, he wants, he's, he like just loathes Baron so much that he wants to set him up to die. Has this happened already in, in the story? It just seems really familiar. Or it, it could be from another film or a book that I've read. But the idea of an impossible task that then the, the person... Oh yeah, it's John Wick. Oops, oh, <laughs> it's John Wick. He's <laughs> it's what our listeners must, you guys must be thinking like these these shlebs. They're they're listing like twenty different stories that have the same plot point <laughs> <laughs> off the top of their head. Well, I mean, maybe maybe well, Tolkien was it, the inspiration you, for that. Like he, you think he's lying? Sorry, you think he's lying when he says, "I desire a treasure that is withheld for rock and steel, and the fires of Morgoth keep the jewel that I would possess." Hmm. No, but like you said, like you said earlier, um, it's it's like he he wants to set it really high. And even if you For pass sure. this, even if you pass this, I'm going to be making an act of generosity. Um, I guess, I guess, in a certain sense, I mean, it does say that it specifically says for Luthien, he loved above all things on 166. So if that's true, which that's narrative, it's not dialogue. Like it's Tolkien is telling us that's what he, that's who he loves above all things. It would make sense for him to lie and say. He wants the Silmarils above all things, um, or just mention the to, thing he this you know second place thing. Right, he he's trying to find like something that is comparable in value, but maybe not. I mean, he even he says, yeah, yeah, I, be like, yeah go to go to Timbuktu and get me a uh, four leaf clover yeah. on a whatever. It would be like, yeah, you're never gonna do this. Yeah, uh, we could talk forever about this. I, one other little part. I'm curious what you guys think about this, but this is on bottom of 166 when uh, when Thingol starts yelling at Baron. Oh yeah, he kind of like he's like a lowly mortal, you know. But then it says it seemed to him that words were put into his mouth. Fear left him, and the pride of the eldest house of men returned to him. Have you guys had that experience where you just like like these aren't oh, yeah. my words? Oh, yeah. Like it just came, and here it is. Yeah, yeah, like it's usually when I feel very weak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like I don't know what to say and I feel stupid. That's usually when it happens. Yeah. Maybe that's a quality of man, men that we share, you know, like as like mankind, I mean, like men and women versus elves. 
Maybe they don't have that, that kind of inspiration to just like fight for survival and just, you know, like the stirring inside that pushes you beyond what you the think you're capable of. pride of men, whatever that is, yeah. Hmm. Well. Great. I, I mean, we're we're maybe a quarter of the way through this, or a fifth of the way through the story of Baron and Luthien, so we got a lot more to talk oh, about. We but... didn't we didn't say that we're we just passed the halfway mark of the book as well. That's right. Yeah. So Good job. so definitely yeah definitely um, if you have thoughts to share, shoot us an email. Um, I know this is a lot of people's favorite part of the book, so we're gonna try to take our time through it. Uh, hence the longer episode, but. Um, Come join the discussion on Discord and or shoot us an email or something. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and rate us three Silmarils out of three. If you really like what you hear, fetch a Silmaril from the crown of Morgoth and bring it to me. <laughs> and then I'll know, then I'll know for sure that you like what you hear. Um, follow us everywhere before the fellowship. Join the discussion on Discord, as I said, and send any comments or questions to before the fellowship at gmail.com. Join us next week as we read and react to the greatest story you've never heard, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm.